Welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. In this series, we delve into what it means to be bold. If you're climbing, hiking or running in the mountains, there will always be an element of risk. But being bold is not necessarily just about physical risk, of course. At some point, we all encounter mental barriers. Whether it's a fear of falling, a fear of failure or trying to adopt a mindset for optimum performance. Simply to be the best we can be. Here's a glimpse of what's coming up. The the kind of mental side of climbing is super fascinating. I really like thinking about sort of mental strategy and mental tactics and how that can help me sort of reach these bigger objectives that I set myself. The the kind of perfect line of, of like a hard goal is something that I either just barely manage or don't quite manage. Bronwyn Hodgkins knows about being bold. She worked as a whitewater guide for seven years and is now a professional climber and rock climbing guide based in Squamish. I wanted to ask Bronwyn about her mental approach to preparing for and then climbing the Golden Gate, a desperate 30 plus pitch route on El Capitan, Yosemite in 2021. Currently, she's running a series of workshops for clients to help overcome the fear of falling. I wanted to know how she approaches that kind of work. Bronwyn also shares details of her recent adventures in South America, big walls in Mexico, and then new free first ascents in Cochimo, Chile. And in a couple of months, she's heading to Greenland for more adventure, new routing with her husband, Jacob Cook. This woman is clearly on a mission. She's got a lot of energy. I wanted to ask her what she does on rest days. I mean, for goodness sake, does she even have rest days? Bron, great to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me on. <laughs> it, it, it's been a while. I wanted to dive straight in. This podcast is really, um, we're going to get into some sort of the mental side of climbing, but I wanted to start by thinking about goal setting. And I know you're, you seem to be someone who likes a big chunky goal. Is that right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I wanted to, well, I wanted to start with Golden Gate, which you did a year ago, which like awesome, fine effort, really hard route in El Capitan in Yosemite. Just tell us a little bit about that in terms of the prep. What was the big challenge for you with that goal? Was it the mental side, the physical side, and, and how long was the, the cycle from you know start to finish? So Golden Gate was, I think it was in September uh, the year before that I sort of decided that I wanted to um, pursue that goal. Um, and then it was May when I, uh, when I sent the route. Uh, so I guess it was like an eight or nine month uh, preparation uh from like start to finish did you go and check out the route in 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 the fall and then train and get ready for it for the spring is that how it worked yeah so i didn't um i didn't go to yosemite in the fall um i had been on a lot of the different sections of the route in the past so i had a pretty good sense of what the um challenge was going to look like um, so the first half of the route shares um, is shared with Freerider, uh, a route that I did, I guess, four years before um, and had spent a lot of time um, on. That's kind of a separate story. My like mission to, to free climbing El Cap the first time was was like a multi-year project. Um, and so it shares the first half, uh, which are mostly is the moderate climbing. Um, and then the top section is shared with El Corazon, uh, which Jacob and I had actually gone up uh, several years earlier. Um, neither of us freed it. We were both just 
kind of mostly freeing um, scoping out the route. Um, and so there was only this like little section kind of in the middle, um, which I hadn't been on before. So no, uh, I didn't go there in the fall, um, but I, I kind of knew what, what the challenge was going to be. Um, and I was like able to kind of create my own like physical and mental um, training uh, plan. What was that just, I mean, did you know about the cruxes? I think there are, I know it's a, it's a massive route with lots of challenges, but I think in one of your blogs, you say there are, for you, it boiled down to like four really hard pitches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the breakdown of Golden Gate, it's 34 pitches, uh, and most of the climbing is 511, um, or including some 511R and 511 offwards. It's <laughs> not like straightforward 511. Um, sure. Uh, and then there's these three, uh, sorry, four, four 13A um, crux pitches, that's 7C plus um, crux pitches. Yeah, so these were like the obvious physical cruxes of the route, and they're all found in the top half. So by the time you get there, you're going to be pretty tired. Um, and just in terms of like physical um, kind of energy, like what what I have available in terms of energy at that point on a wall, um, and just time factors, right? You're up there with a limited amount of time resources. And I knew that the challenge for me was going to um, be sending each of these pitches fairly quickly. Um, I find like 13A tread on granite is like a pretty hard um, grade for me. Especially and I that. knew that I would have to do like four of these basically, um, essentially one a day in a row um, at the top of El Cap. So um, it wasn't just about uh, being physically able to send these pitches. It was about being able to send them uh, very quickly and very efficiently um, when it mattered. Um, so the way that I trained for that, kind of the mental and physical components came together. Uh, I basically spent all winter sport climbing, which is a funny thing to, to say. That's how I trained for my big wall trad objective. Um, but I, yeah, I went sport climbing all winter and really focused on climbing in the like 13 minus uh, range and trying to put the pressure on myself to send these routes very quickly. So I wanted to um, be sending 13 minus in as few attempts as possible. Uh, so at the start of the season, that was kind of taking me a few days, um, like a few to several sessions. Uh, and then by the end of that season, I actually flashed my first 13A. So I was kind of getting them in two or three attempts and then managed one in, in a single attempt. Um, and a lot of that training like prepared me physically. I was physically in the best climbing shape of my life at that point. Um, but then also I was preparing this like mental side of really focusing and not having any kind of fluffy goes. It was like an attempt. The first attempt would be a beta finding attempt. And then I would like do things like a lot of mental visualization um, to have a very good second attempt. And if I didn't get on my second attempt, come down, rest, recover, more visualization, and then have another like very focused third attempt and trying to get these routes like in as few attempts as possible. Because I knew that once I was up on the side of El Cap, I couldn't be having 10 goes on a pitch. I just, that would, I just like, that's not. Yeah. I mean, lead to success. Cause I mean, yeah, you've, you've only got limited supplies, water, <laughs> so skin. Would yeah, skin and, and just like energy. Yeah. But I'm having, if it takes me, 10 goes on one of the cruxes, then I'm not going to have any energy left to do the other three. So. T- 
talk us talk us through a little bit about visualization because I know it's it's a word that's used quite a lot in different sports. What does it mean for you, and how do you use it? And is it something that you also well, we'll get onto that later when you work in coaching people, taking people mm-hmm. out of the morning, but just talk us through it in like a, a fairly simple way. I mean, so you're on El Cap or you're, you're out sports climbing and you went up and you do that beta go. So you're trying to mm-hmm. do that information. What's, what, what happens after that? So you know the moves or you feel like you know the moves. And then... Yeah, so I guess um, pretty, pretty quickly after being on a, a pitch once or twice, um, I'm basically able to sit at the base of the route, close my eyes, um, and climb the whole thing in my head. Uh, and, and I didn't start there. I think that's coming from a lot of practice and a lot of specific practice on this skill. Um, I remember as a beginner climber, um, I would never remember my sequences and I'd be climbing with Jacob, um, my husband, and he would, he would remember my sequences just by belaying me. And I would have forgotten all of it. And I, I remember at that time thinking, how do you remember this? Uh, but it just comes with practice, doing more and more climbing, uh, f- like practicing that, like actively working on trying to remember your sequences. You just uh, improve and get better at it. Um, and yeah, I feel like at this point, it's one of my climbing strengths, I, I would say, is is kind of beta remembering and, uh, and being able to come down from a route after only seeing it for the first time or the second time. Um, and, and I can sit at the base of the route, close my eyes and, and I walk myself, I climb the whole thing in my head, every handhold, every foothold. You occasionally get the situation where you, you, you've done all that. And then when you're on the route, for whatever reason, something changes and you have to kind of like improvise. Does that happen? Yes, (laughs) definitely. Um, and I kind of love that. I, I think that, um, part of the attraction to me for doing, um, finding this level of a route that you can red point quickly. It feels really hard, but you can get it in a few goes or a few sessions, um, is that there's always a little bit of improvisation, a project that, that a longer term project. And we can maybe get into that, um, later, but a real like sport climbing or tried climbing project that you've worked so long to the point where you have it perfect. Um, we just don't have that option in big wall free climbing. Um, and I think when you're trying to send a pitch in fewer attempts, I can, yeah, it doesn't always go perfectly. I can have it somewhat memorized. And then I do have to throw in some improvisation like in the moment, uh, which I think is really fun. Nice. We'll talk about that more in, this is not necessarily more intense, but a different thing where you, where you have those longer term, harder single pitch things. I was thinking about something like Golden Gate. How long does the satisfaction last? You know, you do it. It's great. You come home. Are you the sort of person that immediately the next day you're looking for the next one? Or do you? Do you no, <laughs> definitely not. That's nice. At least otherwise it'd be, yeah, it'd be a bit sad if you did all that and then it only lasted. You know, does it last a while, the buzz? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was pretty um, excited about that for a long time. And still, I, I, I mean, I still consider that my biggest climbing accomplishment. And that was about a year ago. So yeah. single, single pitch stuff. Um, or, uh, you know, sorry, I'm I, I just thinking like, I don't know, trying to send your, your hardest sport route. Is that a different sort of, do you, would you have that 
in the same year as a big objective or as you were saying you'd maybe have a break from the bigger stuff and then really focusing on something like that is that how it works yeah I guess maybe I'll talk about that kind of oscillation um I think we weren't recording (laughs) quite yet when when I talked about it before um I find I do um enjoy like most different styles of climbing um the the big like big walls big mountain alpine faces um big expedition climbing uh and i also really enjoy sport climbing single pitch drag climbing and i find that these sorts of style changes kind of oscillate uh, i'll have a really big um like a big wall goal or a, a big kind of expedition um which i'll be focusing on and then once that's over my motivation will swing more towards sport climbing um as a kind of break from i guess like a, a big objective um and I'll shift to a, yeah, a season of sport climbing or single pitch drag climbing projecting. Um, and then my motivation will build again for something bigger and I'll swing towards that. Of course, if you're doing one of those, um, if you like shorter single pitch things, it can still be kind of all encompassing in its own way, can't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> when I go sport climbing, I still have like a pretty focused like goal mindset and I still end up getting fairly obsessive around that too so (laughs) that like intensity doesn't disappear (laughs) and what what do you what do you learn from these you know let's what do you learn about yourself going through that or have you got anything on the go at the moment you don't have to tell us what Um, it is I actually oh uh I have some preparations (laughs) going on at the moment um yeah we are so Jacob and I and four of our friends there's six of us Um, are headed on an expedition to Greenland this summer. Um, So we've been busy in preparation phases um, recently, and we fly to Greenland at the end of June. Wow. So that's kind of big. This will be our, yeah, biggest, most remote expedition yet. So something very exciting. And of course, you've just been away for six months in North America, (laughs) right? So you're you're not sort of sitting around for too long. Tell us a little no. bit about that. I know, I can't remember whether you were in, you went to lots of places, but I know you were in Mexico. That looked pretty cool. Was that before Chile? Was it Mexico, then Chile, mm-hmm. how it worked? Yeah, so I tend, right now it seems like I'm in Canada for the summer, like spring, summer, fall, kind of half the year. Um, I'm in Squamish, based in Squamish in Canada. Um, and when I'm there, I do um, some work as a rock climbing guide, uh, which I'm actually doing right now as well. I just finished some courses this weekend. And then the colder half of the year, I escape Canada and find sunny rock climbing. Uh, so this winter, I was in Mexico for the first uh, chunk of the winter. And then I went down to Chile in, in South America. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the one in Mexico, the El Gavilan, is that Gavilan. how I pronounce it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so in Mexico, I had a, had a, had a big big cliff out in the desert that uh, has turned into a multi-season goal that I managed to finish off this season. It's a it's about 300 meters cliff out in the desert that had a route bolted on it uh, in the 90s, um, but the, the route was kind of forgotten about and the bolts got all rusty and it kind of turned into this sort of dangerous um, yeah, dangerous route just because the, the hardware was old. Um, and so I decided that I wanted to go in there and replace all of the bolts. It's a fully bolted multi-pitch, 13A, 
And if you can imagine like your dream, like steep, like tufa limestone sport climbing cave, and it's just that stacked nine pitches. Uh, so steep tufas, stemming knee bars, kind of like long endurance, um, yeah, endurance limestone amazing. pitches. Uh, which is my favorite type of sport climbing, like steep endurance routes with lots of knee bars. And it was that in, in like a, a multi-pitch um, environment. So it was a female, all female team and it, it did look amazing. The climb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. So my friend Savannah, um, who's a photographer and filmmaker, her and I went out there a few years ago uh, to try and rebolt the route. And just like in terms of logistics of getting everything out there and, and just like, getting ourselves in position to be able to replace all these bolts on this 300 meter overhanging cliff it's the steepest multi-pitch I've ever been on which like adds to kind of the logistics and kind of rope systems required yeah we ended up completing about half the project and then coming back this season um with yeah it turned into an all-female crew so Savannah was there to to film um and my friend Kelsey joined me as my partner and Kelsey and I um, both sent the route swinging leads um, at the end of the season after finishing the after finishing uh, the rebolting effort, um, and we're making a film of it right now. So I look forward to it. yeah, it looks brilliant. It looks like it's destined to become a classic if you can climb that grade. Of course, it looks mm-hmm. cool. yeah, um, I'm really excited to uh, yeah to kind of share the beta on that one, and and hopefully I've actually had a couple um, one friend go out there um, quite recently and repeat the route already. So that was exciting to hear his his feedback and. And uh, Jacob actually put up a, uh, a new line right beside it the same season. So um, this winter as well, Jacob put up a 13B uh, on an equally as steep section um, uh, route that parallels this one. Uh, so now if you go out there, there's two, two 10-pitch 513s um, on this uh, steep yeah. cliff of the desert. So pretty cool. And you were down in... Chile, I know I'm not. I know you were in the Cochamo area, but I think you went. To other <laughs> yeah. places. What was the what was the highlight of that for you? Yeah, Cochamo. Um, so I went down, uh, met a few friends down in Cochamo, Chile, which has been described or is often described as the Yosemite of uh, South America, and it absolutely lived up to expectations. The climbing, yeah, you're camped in this valley with just these huge granite faces and domes um kind of all around you um the climbing was incredible uh granite yeah kind of immaculate yosemite style granite and cliffs as big as el cap uh, thousand meter walls and if um, you first a sense there do you, is it the case where some of them you have to clean some of the cracks out on some lines is that right or it is yeah for sure it's a it's kind of a jungle um pretty wet environment we were we were lucky we had a lot of um good weather but for sure, I think the, the jungle grows, grows quickly. And I think there's, there's a lot of room for development out there. I guess if the, the big difference between that and Yosemite, of course, is, I would imagine, access. And also, if something mm-hmm. goes wrong, you've got to kind of take care of yourself. I can't imagine there's a rescue team there. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a kind of volunteer rescue um, system set up um, a little bit. It's not like a remote expedition to Greenland, for instance. Um, but for sure, it's definitely like much more remote than Yosemite. And, and honestly, that's pretty nice. Um, it's basically like Yosemite rock climbing in a valley that 
that isn't filled with tourists and other people and just the, the kind of chaos and noise of Yosemite Valley that can sometimes be a, a bit, be a bit much. And this is like, you're, you're out there, you're camping in this valley. There's other climbers, there's other hikers. Um, there's still a, a, an area that, that there are uh, lots of other people out there, but you just don't have the same sort of crowds that you have in Yosemite. You have to hike, it's a three hour hike to get up into the valley. So anyone who's been up, who, anyone who's up there has, has uh, hiked up uphill with all their stuff for three hours. So. And did you have one main objective or how did it play out? We did, yeah. So I was down there. Um, my friend Hayden um, Jameson kind of put the team together and we were down there trying to free an aid line um, called Picaflor, um, which means hummingbird. Uh, and it's on a thousand meter wall, like El Cap-esque, uh, similar to El Cap in a sense that it has like very slabby and then kicks back and gets steep at the top yeah. um, and a thousand meter wall. And uh, yeah, the aid line was established, I think five years ago, so still pretty recent. Um, and we were trying to free the aid line. Um, and as a team, we ended up freeing every pitch except for one. So it wasn't like we didn't quite manage it, um, but it was a really close, uh, we got really close and it was a kind of big adventure and big like team effort and a lot of fun kind of yeah, trying to pull that together. Sounds Fabulous. Yeah, you've been pretty busy. Somebody told me that they were there and they said sometimes the faces out from the cracks are covered in these like chicken heads, but there's an ethic of, I don't know if, if there's an ethic of not bolting or bolting, but this was years ago. He was on one of the first trips there, but he said there was just incredible potential. Like, yeah, it's a lot of slab climbing, a lot of slab and like flared cracks that are closed. So you can't really protect them. We had a power drill. We were we were adding a lot of bolts to this cliff for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and you were yeah, we, were, we were making like a fairly well protected, um, like free route up this cliff um, that mostly followed the aid line, but had some variations and ended up being uh, a little bit harder than we were expecting. A lot of 512 slab, I think four pitches of 513 that we did send. Um, and then, yeah, this one section that we think is either 13 plus or 14 minus that we didn't quite manage. Um, but we bolted that variation and, and, uh, yeah, Hayden was pretty close to getting the crux pitch actually didn't quite manage it. Yeah. So a bit of downtime now back home to downtime. <laughs> yeah, maybe I've really. got two months, two months of rock guiding right now. I'm pretty booked up. doesn't feel like yeah. downtime, but downtime from like personal goals for sure. Yeah, Downtime <laughs> from your personal goals, not downtime yeah. really. I want to talk about you. Yeah. The guiding coaching and. I guess what I want to talk about is some of the mental tactics. We've already talked about some of them that you have and maybe some of the challenges that you've overcome in your own climbing on the mental side and maybe things that you commonly see, you know, in the clients that you're working with and any tips um, that you can give. So, I mean, on the mental side, is there one bit that is harder for you? more of a struggle than others or things that you've worked on you obviously seem like you've got visualization pretty down yeah that's a fun one <laughs> um yeah i think that the the kind of mental side of climbing is super fascinating um i really like thinking about sort of mental strategy and mental tactics and how that can help me uh sort of reach these bigger objectives that i set myself something we were for sure talking about during um, my Golden Gate preparation 
was this sort of focus on visualization and focus, trying to learn a route and, and kind of approach this sort of perfect execution of, of a route um, quite quickly. And I think that that is kind of a really fun skill to kind of work on and, and uh, improve. And then I guess the other uh, side of kind of mental mental training that we can do as climbers is kind of the, the fear aspect. And in Squamish, I run, um, I run some falling clinics and kind of fear of falling clinics here in Squamish that are usually fairly popular. And something that I talk a lot about in these clinics is um, trying to separate sort of the, the like perceived fear from like actual danger. I think in rock climbing, we often, or people like experience, experience fear, uh, like whether that is just from exposure, like being up high is kind of instinctually scary but you might actually be in a very safe, safe location. And you might like attached to the rock, attached to a solid anchor. Um, you might be like in a pretty safe spot, but just feel scared because you're up high. Um, and then also this like fear of falling. So we might be on a, a very safe route facing a, a very safe fall, but get to the crux and know that we feel like we are going to fall and, and get scared anyways, even though it's quite safe. Whereas Sometimes you might be in a position on a climb where the fall isn't safe. Uh, maybe there's a ledge in your fall zone or um, you've had to run it out on a section of easier terrain, um, say in the Alpine. Uh, and, and you are in a spot where, no, actually, I, I can't fall right now. And, and that's much different. That's obviously a, like an actual danger that we need to, um, you know, make, make decisions and risk assessment around. Um, so, yeah, just trying to... Um, separate, I guess, like, what is the, the thing that's causing this feeling of fear? And is it a sort of perceived fear? And I'm actually not really in danger from the thing I feel scared about. Or is this a real founded fear in, in some actual hazard that I should be making decisions around? And, and actually, like, I, I am actually in danger in this moment, and I need to address this fear. Do you find yourself each season that you find um, you need to do a bit of falling to get your head into gear or are you just naturally quite kind of black and white binary? Yeah, no, this is fine. I'm kind of, you know. Oh, no, I, I definitely get scared of, of falling off for sure. That's something that I uh, continuously work on. So and I think of- often in these clinics, like women or, or people who are in this clinic are surprised to hear that. But definitely I, I uh, yeah. Fear of falling is something that I've definitely had to work through um, personally. And if I haven't taken falls in a while, then I for sure get out and do some practice jumping off and and get myself like kind of accustomed to that again. Mm -hmm. What about fear of failure? Do you touch on that at all with Peter? Is that anything that you've had to do? You know, obviously you set these big goals and I guess there must be a sweet spot with the goal in terms of you want it challenging, but you kind of want to... Mm -hmm finish the deal as well. I wonder if, if there's anything there, do, do, do people talk about that or is that kind of a separate issue really if you're to a falling clinic, I suppose it, it's a. Yeah, separate. usually I don't go into kind of fear of failure in, in these, these clinics. It tends to be more about like this idea of like fear that we can kind of 
push back and uh, for try and like learn to to uh forget about maybe this uh perceived fear and then fear that actually is we need to pay attention to and actually make decisions um around a, a safety concern but for sure fear of failure is something that um that is like occurs in my like personal climbing um to some extent i think that if you are setting hard goals then you need to be like accepting that sometimes you won't manage them and i i think that's quite a positive thing i think that if the the kind of perfect line of of like a hard goal is something that i either just barely manage or don't quite manage and i think that if you're towing that line and sometimes you just barely pull something off and sometimes you just don't quite manage it then i think that's really positive um, reinforcement and to um uh, and positive feedback saying that basically you're hitting that spot like, like it, it kind of tells me that my goal setting is right where i want it to be and and i think uh yeah just barely managing to send golden gate in the kind of time frame i set out for myself was definitely like something that it yeah, was like really exciting for me there was a lot of time there were many times during that process that i thought that I was kind of overwhelmed by the the concept of sending Golden Gate and thought that it was maybe a little bit too far fetched, and then and then managing to to pull it off um, was very rewarding and exciting uh, for me. And then something like going down to Cochimo and, and you know coming back having not sent uh, this free route that we worked on for a month down there, but being really close and sending a lot of hard pitches um, in the process is kind of the other side of things like. That was also a, a pretty well-aligned goal and I, it was just a little bit too hard right now or I didn't have quite enough time. And yeah, having like some of each, uh, I think kind of means that I'm, I like pushing myself. I wouldn't, if I achieved all the goals that I set out for myself then I think that it would almost be less satisfying because I could feel like I should be pushing myself harder. That makes sense. Yeah, and I, I came across a quote today. I think it was a Muhammad Ali quote, which, which was around, the will must be stronger than the skill. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's that thing about trying hard in climbing as well, which is really important. And, and you talk quite well about that in some of your posts. And I get the impression you're someone who can, you like to rise to the challenge and try hard. And it's, it's all very well. You can do all this preparation and overcome all the different fears. But ultimately, it can come down to that, can't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately that's that's what we're trying to do. And that's what I'm trying to do is uh, find ways that we can challenge ourselves um and uh and rock climbing is a is an excellent kind of medium for that uh to kind of push myself and uh push myself physically and mentally kind of in the same challenge a lot of these uh, yeah a lot of climbing is kind of equal parts i think um a physical challenge and a mental challenge and and you can through through pursuing goals in climbing i'm able to challenge myself to kind of see where my sort of limits might you, be at. You seem like you're doing pretty well. You've only been climbing, I think, was it about eight years or a bit more? Yeah, I think it's getting pretty close to a decade at this point. So I don't think I can be, I can claim to be a, a new climber anymore. Maybe. But um, yeah, there's definitely climber? a pretty fast progression early on in my climbing years. <laughs> my last question. So we'll, we'll, it's been great to chat is your, your, 
do you find it hard to take rest days or do you enjoy rest days? And, and what is your perfect rest day when you're at home? Rest days from climbing or rest days from everything? Yeah, I am not very good at chilling out, according to my husband. <laughs> That's what I was getting. <laughs> Chill out. Yeah. I tend to, if I'm taking a physical rest day, like if I'm not climbing for a day, then I try and squeeze in as much productivity um, as I can, like into that day, whether it's like some sort of preparation from something or maybe writing uh, um, an article about a previous thing, preparing my summer courses. Yeah, what, whatever, like kind of computer tasks are uh, are building up. I tend so, to try and like do all of that, all my like computer things on on rest days, which is maybe like not very fun, <laughs> exciting. <laughs> um, we're not going to see you. We're not going to see you uh, taking any beach holidays anytime soon, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Final point: maybe. When can we see the film of Mexico? When do you think that might be out? Well, we are, yeah, in the process of working on it right now, trying to get the bulk of it finished before I leave for Greenland. But whether it completely finishes by that point is to be seen. Uh, but definitely by the fall, sometime in the fall. Nice. Hoping to. Well, it's been brilliant yeah. to chat. Thanks for your time and uh, have an awesome trip in Greenland. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for the chat. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe. I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon.